friends. I'm Olivia. And I'm Katie. And we are Podcast by Proxy. Welcome. What all do we want to talk about before we get started? No, I feel like we talk about all the things that we want to talk about when we're recording, and then as soon as you hit record, I forget. I know. First of all, (laughs) I do want to see if anyone out there has any feedback for us or what they thought of our new intro music. It was thanks to a lovely gentleman named Steven. I will tag his name in an Instagram post so that we give him credit for the music. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, Steven. Yes, do let us know what you think of it. Sure. And also, hopefully, everybody loved the bonus episode that we put out for you. Our Lisa Lam episode was super popular. You guys loved it, so we wanted to give you a little bit extra. We had a lot of thoughts, feelings, comments, concerns about it, so now you guys can live it out with us. Yes. Um, I'm going to try really hard to contribute a little bit more (laughs) to today's episode, as I was telling you earlier. Sometimes you just have a day where you're not as big of a contributing member to society. (laughs) God, that was one of those days, and it came through. You could tell that I was having a struggle bus that day. I just was not. I had nothing intelligent to contribute to life so hopefully today's better i don't have a headache today so good i have something fun that i would like to add just in case anyone's like having a bad day or needs a little pick me up with the world right now i found this new person to watch slash listen to or follow on youtube and social media they are so funny they're a husband and wife and her name is sheena melwani And he goes by the real Indian dad and you don't know his real identity because he wears like this face and they do the funniest videos together and pranks on each other. And it is just the most wholesome, sweet, entertaining, hilarious, funny stuff. And if nothing else, just go watch their reels on Instagram and you're, oh, you'll just be so happy. (laughs) I'm looking at the real Indian dad Instagram page right now and I can see just a whole lot of the the iPhone emoji identity guy so you never see his actual face it's just his Mm -hmm. emoji guy the whole time I love that yeah and because he's the real Indian dad so it's like t-r-i-d she calls him trid so it's Sheena and trid (laughs) and they are amazing hilarious like relationship goals in terms of the sense of humor you hope you can keep even after years of being together because they have children together from what i can tell like they've been together for quite some time again i don't know much about them at this point but check them out (laughs) worth it that's a nice little palate cleanser and positive note heading into this monstrosity of a case so yeah I, i i meant it for a reason it's a nice segue into the most brutal case that we've probably covered so far Shaw, sure. in my personal opinion should i light a candle something soothing yeah, I'll and light, relaxing I'll light one. i'm gonna light the candle that you gave me for christmas okay, i'm going across my room i'm getting oh. my favorite one so hold on well where's my lighter at homies found it So everyone else out there, light your candle. Katie, what candle are you burning today? I'm burning a lemon cello candle. It's one of my all-time favorites. I'm burning Bath and Body Works Georgia Peach. Katie gave me this candle for Christmas. I am very low on it. I need a refill, but it's turned out to be one of my favorite candles. I love it. Oh my gosh, I love when that happens. Yeah, like I will be purchasing another one. And that only happens if you really like a candle. Okay. Oh, gosh. Should we just jump right into this? I think, is that all the business that we had? Yep. The only thing I would love to ask as a favor from all you lovely people is if on whatever podcast you're, or sorry, podcast platform you're listening, if you could review us as well, it really helps us get some traction, get our name out there. So we'd really appreciate it as well. Yes. You go, girl. 
Okay. I stayed close to home again, not the island, but BC. We're going back to the 80s, and this one sucks. This is the case that... I posted on our Instagram story or that my dad was talking about. <laughs> my dad sent me that text and he was saying he heard about a case because it's in the yes. it's in the news right now. Yeah. I was actually I was writing something else and then something happened and I have to put that case on hold for a little bit to do just some a hot extra minute. research. Just a hot minute. So I had to switch gears and do something else. And this case I feel does not get enough attention more we should be talking about this more i don't know why we aren't i mean it is in the news right now so maybe it's just me that's wildly out of the loop but i feel like i don't hear this one enough and especially with like everything we'll talk about it later mm-hmm. it should be talked about more so today's story is going to take place in clearwater bc so Clearwater is fairly close to Kamloops in the interior of BC. And this is British Columbia, Canada. It's the province Katie and I live in. August 23rd, 1982, a man named Al Boner called the RCMP because one of his employees, Bob Johnson, failed to return back to work from a camping trip with his family. So like he was on vacation. He was supposed to be back from vacation on August 16th, and he was still not back by the 23rd. And Bob never missed a day of work he had worked there for like over 20 years and he'd never missed a day of work so this made alarm bells go off with his boss of course there's no cell phones or emails back in 1982 so he kind of waited about a week just assuming they were having a really good time and couldn't get in contact with him kind of thing but he's like you know after it's been a whole week and he hadn't heard from him yeah it's a little suspicious yeah maybe i should see if anybody else has heard from him boner Really? His last name is Bonner? Yeah. I mean, it could be pronounced Bonner, but it's spelled B-O-N-E-R. So nope, that's a boner. <laughs> I know people you with know, the I last just... name Bonner. There is clearly two N's. Yeah, I'm just going to call it how it is. <laughs> yeah, I think you should have left out his last name because it was really distracting, hot out the gates. And Boner. Anyway, <laughs> so keep going. <laughs> All right, well, I'm not a 16-year-old boy. <laughs> no? Okay. It's funny. So Bob had gone camping with five family members. He went camping with his wife, Jackie, who was 41. They had two daughters, Janet and Karen, who were 13 and 11. They were both in the Girl Guides. And also joining their family was grandparents, George and Edith Bentley, who were 66 and 59. So it's the Johnson family and the Bentley family all going camping together. That sounds like a great vacation. Yeah, it really does. And honestly, BC is gorgeous for camping. That's basically what we're known for. Come here and look around. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Come here, go outside, though. George and Edith were actually a retired couple from Coquitlam, BC, and had taken the drive with their truck and their camper to the interior to go on this family camping trip. The camper was going to be used for the adults to sleep in, and then a tent was pitched outside for the girls. Which, again, don't want I don't that. know about you as a kid, but we did that. Yeah, the 80s. That's, yeah. But, like, we did this even in the late 90s when we were seven, eight, nine. Like, our parents always let us camp out in the backyard because we lived in really safe yeah. areas. <laughs> well, I feel like here probably happens now and is uncommon because, again, camping and outdoorsy things are extremely common around here. And the island is thought to be... <laughs> fairly safe for the most part so i feel like this probably happens now it doesn't sound far-fetched so the only known camping destination for the family was the wells gray area in clearwater which is huge so wells gray provincial park spans like five thousand square kilometers at the time it was yeah at the time it was bc's fourth largest park which Hmm. is saying something because Again, like I said, BC is pretty much known across the world for, like, mountains, trees, landscapes, untamed nature, camping, and huge-ass parks. (laughs) It's literally in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, the Rocky Mountains. On August 6, 1982, 
Edith, who is the grandma, called one of the couple's other daughters, Sharon, from a phone in Clearwater to say they were having a good time. They made it to Clearwater. They were going to meet the rest of the family in Wells Gray Provincial Park, and that's where they were going camping. Okay, fair enough. Sounds pretty standard so far. That was the last time anyone heard from them until Bob reported them missing. So after Bob's boss, Al, reported that he had not returned home from his trip, the RCMP reported all three, or sorry, all six of the family members as missing persons. I was going to say just three of them? (laughs) No, all six. No, all six were missing, and they had not been heard from since the uh, 6th of August. On September 13th, 1982, a man who was mushroom hunting in Wells Gray Park found a burned up Chrysler in a clearing around what was called Battle Mountain Road. And it was known at the time that the Johnson family had been driving a Chrysler. The man called the RCMP. They arrived on scene immediately. The car had been driven into brush off the road and set on fire. But they knew it was the family's car because the license plate was still, like, visible on the back and matched theirs. Yeah, it takes a lot to destroy a license plate, and frequently people underestimate, like, setting a car on fire. The license plate might be warped or kind of tarnished, but legible still. Yeah, so they find the Johnson's family car burned up. RCMP approached the car, and they noticed the smell. You know, the smell. They knew exactly what it was, Upon further investigation of the vehicle, they realized that the floor and the back seat of the car were completely charred, but there were very obviously human remains. And they found the incinerated remains of the four adults in the back seat. Four adults the- in the back seat? Yes. Wow. Okay. Burned remains. So, like, an basically- 80s car. They were big. Well, and like, they were probably just shoved back there and then set on fire. They actually had to use a pry bar to open the trunk because the lock had been fused together during the fire, but they managed to get it open and they found the remains of both Janet and Karen, the young girls. Oh, well, I assume yeah. so. I knew where the other four were. Yeah, I know. Forensic analysis determined that the family had been shot with a twenty-two caliber firearm. One of the skulls of the young girls had a hole over the left eye, which had been determined to be an exit wound. The investigators determined that Edith, who was the grandma, had been shot in the back of the head, but they believed that the bullet was actually still inside her skull. Poor Edith. I know. The media caught wind that the family had been found. So now RCMP and forensics also had to deal with like mobs. Yeah. yeah, onlookers to protect Ugh. the scene as best they could. I know. So they have, they're dealing with this literal monstrosity, and then they also have to deal with the media and the public trying Lucky to cross lose. the lines. And yeah. So at this point, the truck and the camper are still missing, though. Okay. They find the Chrysler and everybody's in it, but where is their campsite? Where is their truck? The grandparents had a truck with a camper on the back, and it had an aluminum boat strapped to the top. So all of these things are missing. That makes me think that they were just like pulled over and robbed or attacked. Just something like that. So 50 small plastic bags contained the remains of all six family members. And I don't even know why I add stuff like this in here because it's so brutal but their bodies were so destroyed. Get there faster. Their bodies were so like consumed by the fire and destroyed they were buried together in one child-sized casket so all yeah. six of their remains were put in one child-sized casket and they were all buried together and then after that point i have fucking ouch boo urns i hate this case it's really brutal well and you also have to Every... think how much is left and i know that they don't give you all the remains necessarily when you get remains there isn't that much left when you no. get incinerated, which is what happens mm-hmm. when you're cremated. I'm not being insensitive, people. So you would think if they were then demolished and out in the elements and then put through a whole crime scene investigation, it's like there's really not going to be much left. No. Every single one of the family members had to be identified using dental records. I'm not surprised. Yeah. I wasn't either. I mean, they were set on fire and then left to sit there for a couple weeks. So Mm -hmm. more than likely anyways. 
by the time they found them. Yeah. The weapon was determined to be a 22 caliber rifle. So the RCMP gave the media everything they could without damaging their investigation to try and get assistance from the public about any information or settings of the truck and camper. So they gave them as much as they could, but they definitely held stuff back, which they always do. And they They have to. Yeah, they have to. From what I could gather, all of the park employees and all the visitors who would have been there at the same time as the family uh, was vetted or at least spoken to. Mm-hmm. And some people had reportedly potentially seen the family camping near what they called Bear Creek. Ooh, okay. Yeah, so there was a few different reportings of this, but one man specifically had reported that he had briefly seen the truck and the camper at what was called the Old Bear Creek Prison Campsite. I don't want to camp um, there. So the this was this is all inside that provincial park, inside Wells okay. Grave Park. Yeah. But yeah, I don't really want to go camping at the prison campsite. Not going to lie. RCMP went to investigate this lead. Oh, you're making a face. You want to go camping at the prison campsite? I just kind of want to go camping in general. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think all of us, it's like that meme that's going around the internet right now about the Cecil Hotel. It's like we've, I've been in a pandemic for too long because all I'm thinking watching this documentary is, damn, I miss hotels. Yeah. There is an element of that to it. Yeah, we go anywhere at this point. So the RCMP investigate this lead at the old Bear Creek prison campsite just to go see if there's any evidence that anybody had been camping there, and there certainly was. Cops secured the scene, and they called 20 more officers to help go through the scene basically with a fine-tooth comb, looking for anything that would tie the family or potentially the person who might have murdered them. Metal detectors were brought through that campsite and detected, you guessed it, six spent 22 caliber casings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was waiting for that. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> there was other evidence collected at the scene. Like, I know I saw somewhere, and I didn't include it in my official notes, but I, I remember it, so I'll just say it now. It said something like, Bob, the dad, was a Mills beer fan or something, and they actually found beer like unopened beer cans in the creek by their campsite like canadian cooler that's how us canadians keep our drink school in the summer by the way we just put them in the water (laughs) oh when my mom goes tubing she will just put a rope around her tube and put her beer in like a bag and just let them float in the river because the river is so cool that it keeps them nice and cool so you don't have to carry a cooler with you it's just extra weight it's useless Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I was like, that is Canadian AF, and I love it. So this campsite, this old Bear Creek prison campsite, would be now considered the site that the family was killed at. RCMP kept this information to themselves. They wanted themselves and the killer to be the only person who knew where the murder had actually occurred in the park. Like, it was pretty well known that... It happened in Wells Grape Park or the family. They knew that the family had at least been there and then nobody heard from them again, but they wanted only them to be the ones who knew where it actually happened. Fair. So, I just pulled up the website for that provincial park and there are so many areas to it. It's ridiculous. It has like seven waterfalls in it or something like that or 10 waterfalls in it. Yeah, so it's absolutely it's massive. Massive. And it's yeah. it there's like different what look like different ecosystems and completely different areas. Like you can go hiking in one area, you can go skiing in one area, you can go camping in one area. So it's like every element is there too. It's redonkulous. Yeah. So it's not very specific to say that it happened there, but knowing that no. it happened at that very, very specific campsite was very important. So at this point, the main goal is to find the truck, camper, and boat combination. That's all they're focused on. This investigation was wild. The RCMP chased down a ton of leads. Over 10,000 posters were sent across Canada. A $50,000 reward was announced, which would have been a lot of money in the early 80s. But it's th- it's what they did here that I found really interesting and what is, like, noted in all the research. 
mm-hmm. April 1983, so eight months after the murders had occurred, they really hadn't gone any further in the investigation. So the main detective, Michael, he was like the lead detective in the case. He decides, he makes the decision to find an exact replica of the truck, the camper, and the aluminum boat. And they start to drive it around Canada. They start to drive it along the route that they think the grandparents would have taken to get like from their home to Clearwater. And then at this point, they had a ton of tips saying that, oh, we've seen the trucking camper here. We've seen it here, like in other parts of Canada. So they just start going for a cross-country road trip. And the replica has like huge signs on the side of it that say, if you saw this truck camper boat combination like called our cmp with the details kind of thing i was wondering why they had to drive the matching setup i was confused about that but that makes sense okay well think about it they had no social media back then like they had the news Uh but i think it's a great idea yeah so they would park it in like they would just park it in like busy mall parking lots and stuff just to try and like jog any memories of the public that they could and they also used actors in the media to try and like show what the family would have looked like it was a very in-depth investigation yeah i I I mean they said i think good on them because i feel like we constantly hear stories where we feel like the police departments or whatnot don't try hard enough so i'll give them credit for that like good job guys you really went all out for this family Well, and I think this was probably the first time something like this had really occurred. Or one of, anyway. It's early on in that kind of era when all this stuff started to get big, right? They have this super, super long cross-Canada investigation to try and find out who the freaking monster is that did this. Because at this point, they have a mass murderer on the loose, right? Oh, So October 18th, 1983, which is now 14 months after this mass murder occurred, the cake, I was about to say the cake, Mm. (laughs) the case cracks open. You know what else I would like to crack open? A drink. Drink. What are you drinking today, Katie? Oh, nothing fancy. I'm drinking a lime bubbly. I recently discovered these and I'm really obsessed. The bubblies? Yeah, I cannot wait to try the pineapple one. My mom has been obsessed with bubblies for so, so long. She forces me to drink them Does when I go to her house. she love Michael Buble, though? Is that why? She used to call them bublés. So, until yes. I'm pretty sure somebody was like, it's called a bubbly. <laughs> but apparently the peach ones are new and they're the bee's knees. I haven't tried them, but every white girl and their mother is talking about it. So I'm not going to. You're not? No. I mean, the peach nudes are my favorite. I can't So I imagine... Oh, right. Katie's allergic (laughs) to peaches, weirdo. Or highly sensitive, yeah. Yeah, or that. But the peach nudes are my favorite of, like, the vodka soda can beverages that they... Every brand sells Mm -hmm. now. So I imagine I would like a peach bubbly. Oh, yeah, and... I like sparkling water, but there's certain ones that have too much of that soda-y, I don't even know, like bitter taste. These are delicious. They're perfectly fruity enough without being too like aspartame-y either at all. I agree with that. Yes. They are wonderful. And I went to the gas station because I wanted to buy a couple random flavors to try them all before I bought a case. They only had the lime, so I bought a couple. But these are like the giant bubbly cans, so they're huge. The tall boy bubblies? They're a tall boy bubbly. Brandon's favorite bubbly flavor is orange. Oh. I'm not picky. I like them all. I think after we're done this, I'm going to go buy a case of the pineapple. I think that's going to be my jam or the strawberry. I love that for you. Okay. Okay, let's that do was this. A, I was going to say that was long enough drink break. Last time's got out of control. I didn't even so, ask you what you were drinking. Oh, it's one of those vodka lemonade. I decided to bring alcohol to the pod lab today. Ooh. Muddler's vodka lemonade. These are pretty good, but they have an odd aftertaste. So if you can get past the fact that they just kind of taste weird for like a few seconds after you have each sip. <laughs> 
they're not bad. No. <laughs> I wasn't going to complain. I just went and grabbed whatever was in there that cracked. Okay. Yeah, let's roll. So we're on October 18th, 1983. Again, like I said, 14 months after this occurred. Two forestry workers were halfway up what's called Trophy Mountain in Wells Gray Provincial Park and found the truck and camper oh, in the okay. park. It never left. I know. Well, so wild goose chase. I know, but like friggin' wild goose chase across all of Canada and the thing never left the park. <laughs> Those guys just wanted to get so, out of town. Yeah, so the Trek camper combination that they found was missing the aluminum boat on top. The license plate matched the one that the Bentleys were driving, and it had also been lit on fire. So I guess Buddy was just, like, taking this boat, and I'm bouncing. Well, destroy evidence, I guess. I guess. So the Trek and the camper was found in an area that you would only know if you knew the area really well. Like, I found in a really remote area of that park, I guess. And you would only know that area if, like, you lived there or you grew up there. Yeah. It was not out in the open. It was even missed by air search. Oh, so it's, like, heavily wooded. So it's probably going to be some type of auxiliary road or logging road, which, I mean, we have so many of those here where we go four by fouring. So I could completely see how it's missed, without a doubt. The truck had to be lifted out of the forest by a helicopter, flown down the mountain to a flatbed truck, and then it was taken to the RCMP crime lab in Vancouver. Wow. Yeah. At the time, the media was told that the finding of the truck provided no new clues. That's scary. They have both vehicles and all the bodies, and they still have little to nothing to work with. Yeah. So, like I said, they were pretty certain that the truck and the camper never left the park, so they decided to narrow down all of their tips to just the local ones, because they had received, like, something like over 13,000 tips to the tip line that they were weeding through, and like I said, they were driving this truck and camper replica around different parts of Canada because they had been told, oh, I saw these like two sketchy looking guys in that truck and camper in Saskatchewan or something. And so now they were actually able to narrow it down to just local tips because they knew whoever did this almost certainly lived there. Well, and why would you bring it back if you did take it out? It makes perfect sense why they would limit it to the search results within the area. Yeah. Yeah. So earlier on in the investigation, like when the murder first happened, the RCMP had spoken to a man named David William Shearing. He did it. Three names, three names, three names, three names, (laughs) three names, three names. names. David Shearing was 23 years old. They had also spoken to his family at the time. And when they spoke to him, he had said he was shocked something like this could happen so close to home. He hoped the killers would be caught. Hmm. His his family lived really close to the Bear Creek murder site. Shocker. And his family was really well respected in the community, but David not so much. Was he the black so sheep? So he already had a pretty bit like he was the black sheep. He okay. which like same, but not in a murderous way. There's, like, being the black sheep, like, you're a little different, because I feel you. Or there's, like, the black sheep, like, the bad black sheep, like, we don't talk about them at family reunions kind of thing. Yeah, so, like, this guy already had a rap sheet with the police. He had previously been booked for assault, drug possession, a DUI. He was known to have relationships with young girls. And by young girls, I mean, like, 13 years old, young. I'm sorry, how old is he right now? 23. Okay, sorry. I just... No, I, I, that's okay. But, like, remember, our victims were 13 and 11. Oh, no, I know. I'm just, like, mm-hmm. that's why I was, like, because that's what I was comparing. Yeah, you're, like, well, this isn't going well. Don't like where that's headed. No. So when the truck and camper were found, his name came up again. Somebody had called the tip line saying that, Apparently, David had been previously investigated for an unsolved hit-and-run fatality in Wells Gray, but he they had said he'd gotten away with it, and he was never charged with it, but they basically said, like, he did it. 
honestly, this dude lost me entirely at being into 13-year-old girls, but whatever. The police had also spoken to a man and a woman at around this time. And after speaking with them a bit, the woman goes to the man, aren't you going to tell him about David Shearing and the truck with the bullet hole? At this point in the investigation, they had not revealed to the public that the truck had been found with a bullet hole in the side. So only someone who had seen the truck or knew about it from him would know this. Also, like, we had to bury the lead there. Like, oh, and by the way, you know that truck you're looking for? I did. I do think I saw it. I do. I do. Yeah. So they specifically held back that evidence so that only them and the killer would know. And so this woman being like, oh, uh, aren't you going to tell them about David Shearing and the truck with the bullet hole on the side of it? They're like, ding, 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 ding. Apparently the, the guy shot the woman a dirty look and she left, but investigators waited around until they like knew she would be alone and then talked to her. And she told them that David had been inquiring about re-registering a truck with the with a hole in the side of it. Just a hole. Yeah. So immediately David Shearing shoots to the top of their suspect list. He fits all the criteria he has. Not that you're a murderer if you have former run-ins with the law, but, you know, all the things are kind of adding up. He's got former run-ins with the law. He lives very, very close to the site. He's a local. He would have known it really well. Well, and people have associated him with the vehicle in question, too. With the vehicle in question, exactly. (laughs) So he's immediately not looking good. David at the time he was actually working in Tumblr Ridge which is a nine and a half drive from Clearwater but it's still in BC nine and a half what hour sorry it's like a nine and a half minutes seconds days which one is it Olivia it's hours 9.5 hours but it's still in BC because BC is huge yes so they give the RCMP in Tumblr Ridge a call they're like, hey, we're coming to look for this guy. FYI. When they mention his name, the Tumblr Ridge RCMP goes, yeah, you're dealing with a weird duck. We know that. We're coming to get him for murder. Yeah, like, look <laughs> at the day and age we're in, and they're coming to your small town to pick up this guy. Like, we don't even want to wait for him to just come back. He's that bad. No. Yeah. So they tell the Clearwater RCMP. So Tumblr Ridge tells Clearwater that they've actually been watching David since September 26th of 1983 when he was well, found. Duh, with... He's a weird duck. Yeah, but he was found with $40,000 worth of tools in his car. And shocking, My the next day, $40,000 worth of tools are reported stolen the next day. And David had said at the time that they were his, but like we know they were not. Okay, this duck just has a real sticky finger. Tumblr Ridge at the time, I don't know how it is now, but it ha- it was like a three-man police detachment. <laughs> so they didn't have the capacity or like the manpower to hold people until they could appear in court. So after this incident, David was just told to report to the police detachment once per week until his court date in November. He's weird because he stole $40,000 worth of tools and now we have to watch him once a week because we can't hold him until he can be seen in jail or in court because he had to appear on charges of possession of stolen property. So he's on probation essentially until he goes to court. He's basically out on a promise to appear, but he has to report to the RCMP detachment once a week. So yes, essentially. They hear all this, and the lead detective, Mike Eastem, is like, well, I need to go to Tumblr Ridge and talk to this fucking imbecile. He makes the 10-hour drive to Tumblr Ridge, and on November 18th, 1983, the cops pick David Shearing up while he's getting off a bus. At this point, it's not the lead investigator. It's like just the RCMP and Tumblr Ridge. They go to get him. They tell him that they need to talk to him about a couple things. And he went with them without a fuss. They were kind of talking about like hunting in the car on the way back to the detachment. And there was kind of, there was a comment made where David says like, yeah, I've got one, a 22 Remington. Which at that point, they know oh that the God. weapon that killed the family is a 22 caliber rifle. So he just admitted to owning the murder weapon. Then he went on to say like, oh yeah, it's my dad's. It's hanging in the garage. He's super clueless that they're onto anything related to the gun. He's just, you know, talking. It almost so feels they like get... he said it and then he was like, 
shit. So then he had to act casual about it. He's like, yeah, it's like a collector's item. I just uh, store it away. Maybe. Who knows? This guy's brutal. The station, he is, and he's not very smart either. He's introduced to Mike Eastem, the lead investigator on the case, and he knew exactly who Mike was because Mike had been all over the news with this case because remember he was the one that was on the news showing off the truck driving it across country like he was the (laughs) face for this case so he knew who mike was and he kind of opened up to him a bit at the beginning it came out that his father had passed away due to cancer about a year prior this was really hard for david his mom was in a care home this was obviously a really sore spot for him as well and it's actually noted really well throughout all the readings for this case that the interrogation methods that these detectives used were extremely skillful and like legendary to get what they wanted out of him they ask him if he knows why they came all the way there to talk to him and david's Mm -hmm. like i don't know but it must be important he goes on to say he has nothing to hide he's an honest man sure you are so he's read his rights and advised on his right to remain silent or request counsel he denies both times like they're not being sneaky about the fact that they're interrogating him but they're being very careful and like particular in how they're questioning him he actually wrote a book on this case it's called the seventh shadow i'm pretty sure you can still get it there's like kind of excerpts of it online but uh, you can still buy the whole book so he denies his right to counsel he denies his right to silence he says he'll talk to them i don't know he asks the investigators if they are here to talk about the johnson bentley murders and the investigator doesn't answer right away but when he does he says did you talk to anybody about it last year David said, yeah, somebody had spoken to him. And the investigator asks if he knows anything about the vehicles being found. And you can kind of tell that David's getting pretty uncomfortable. Good. So this is where the detectives get clever. Mike Easton tells David Shearing that bikers were assisting the RCMP with their inquiries (laughs) and that this had uncovered some interesting things. He said to him, I want to see if you're an honest... I want to see if you are an honest guy. I'm going to start back a couple of years. And remember, you can leave at any time, but I want to see what you will do. We discovered a kid that was killed on Wells Gray Road. It was a hit and run or criminal negligence or whatever. The guy didn't stop. I know all about it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be up here in Dawson Creek on a weekend. And at this point, David's body language like completely changes because he thinks he's off the hook for the Johnson Bentley murders. And he thinks that they're just coming to ask him about this unsolved hit and run run. yeah yeah okay so they managed to get him to write a full confession to the hit and run so now they have him on a homicide before they've (laughs) even brought up the johnson bentley murders wait so he was so relieved that he just owned up to this and he was like oh yeah i'll take that yeah he said he was driving home one night he thought he saw a shape in the road it was too late to stop or even slow down and he hit it at full speed the it that he ran over and killed was a young man he said that he just drove off he just drove off he basically just left this man to die in the road and he didn't call the police or tell anybody because he knew he'd be in trouble but like they get a full confession out of him for this so they now have him on a homicide before they've even had to bring it up that's like in and i'm not gonna ruin legendary spoiler but if you're listening to it as well right now the morbid episode on picton there's something in that reminds Mm. me of this i don't know if you're that far but when you know you know well i know that case as well was a pretty there's a certain part of it though that reminds me of this specifically i am listening to that i've just i can't listen to podcasts as much when i'm working right now because of the nature of my work so i don't have like as much time to just listen to podcasts for fun which makes me sad same all right they're talking to him about the like possible outcomes of the hit and run and they finally ask the question they've been waiting to ask how do you feel about the johnson bentley murders Mm -hmm. david says the same thing that he said in his previous interview it was bad for the community they ask him do you know where the car was found He says, yeah. They said, do you know where the truck was found? He says, yeah. Then they asked, do you know where they were killed? And he says, Bear Creek. Nobody else knew that. So they just like kind of rapid fire these questions at him. And he's like, yep, yep. And then he answers it. So 
the investigator Mike Eastham says like you could see it in his face immediately that he knew that was it yeah he just admitted information that only the RCMP knew and that was he was done yep so that was some legendary interrogation work but at this point David's like yeah now I want a lawyer oh now you do Good idea. The investigator, Mike, I think he was actually Sergeant Easton at the time, pretty much was like, yep, you do need a lawyer, but it would be best to talk to me now. He told him if he didn't talk to them right now, he'd have to involve his brother and his mom. And they knew his mom was a sore spot for him and that he would break down and talk if they said they were going to involve him or her. Sorry. He doesn't want to hurt her anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So he broke down and talked his story at this point. He said he was watching the family camp the day before, and then he wanted their stuff. Officers managed to get him to recount the entire thing. He said he killed the adults first. He saw a tent. He knew that there were girls in there. He said he was hiding behind the camper and the adults were just hanging out around the campfire. One woman saw him and stood up quickly. He made himself known and he pulled his gun out and said, like, don't move, I have a gun. And then Bob, the dad, started to stand up, but David shot him in the throat. Oh, God. Yeah, so that can't be pretty. And then the woman screamed, and as David got ready to fire again, George ran towards, the grandpa ran towards the pickup truck, but David shot George with a second shot. He missed the first time. Jackie Johnson, who is the mom, ran towards the girl's tent and was shot through the head as she was running, like mid-stride. And he went to find Edith. And as he went to find her, he shot Bob again because he was just, like, on the ground, not dead. Edith was trying to get the camper door open because she was obviously thinking she could maybe hide in there. And she was, like, struggling to open the camper door. This image of this literally gives me nightmares. He walked up behind her quietly as she's panicking to open the camper door and just put the gun up to the back of her head and shot her. Mm, No. So... Fucking brutal. Yeah, no. That's nightmares. Then all he says is that he killed the girls in their tent. Just shot them. I don't believe you, sir. Do we know that he did anything else to them? And I actually hate to ask, but... We're gonna get there. Oh. So he gives all these details, and then he just says... Then he just killed the girls. Then he went through the process of getting rid of the evidence. He put the girls in the trunk, the adults in the front. He said he threw away pretty much everything but the boat and the tools. And the cops thought he was full of shit, but... He wouldn't go any further. They hit a wall with him, and they already had him on all these murders. So they just figured this is better than nothing at this point. He was charged on six counts of secondary murder on November 21st, 1983. The media went nuts. The RCMP had their guy. The search was over. This had gone on for a year and a half. He shouldn't have yet seven, though, because didn't he have the hit and run as well? I'm not sure if they just didn't count that when they were doing it. I don't know what it was okay. six. So okay. I don't, I have, they, there's not much on that. It just says he was charged with six counts of second degree. I'm okay. not certain the a hit and run would be considered second degree murder anyways. I think they would. No, it would be vehicular manslaughter. I was going to say they would charge it as manslaughter, but yeah. they may have just left it out altogether just to focus on this monstrosity. Maybe, yeah. So, 24-year-old David Shearing, David William Shearing, I guess we'll let him have his three names, pled guilty to all six counts of second-degree murder, and on April 16th, 1984, at his sentencing, the judge said, what we have here is a cold-blooded and senseless execution of six defenseless and innocent victims for no apparent reason other than he possibly coveted some of their possessions. Yeah, because if he ditched everything, what did he take? An aluminum boat? Yeah, the boat, and he's saying tools. He's saying he killed the whole family for an aluminum. You didn't even take, unless, okay, you took it, and then you realized it. But no, because it wouldn't have even been in the media until a month later, because they weren't even reported missing until the end of, or the middle of August, or the end of August. Yeah, and we're assuming he had already ditched the cars by then. Yeah, like if you were robbing them for their things, you would have taken the truck and the camper halfway across the country by now, and nobody would have found it. Or you would have found the truck stripped. Like, all their stuff would have been taken out Mm -hmm. of it, the vehicles ditched, but it seems like he did nothing with their possessions. 
You just ditched them in the bush somewhere and burned or them, like them. lit both of them on fire, but you're saying that you wanted their stuff. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make any sense. Not at all. David was sentenced to 25 years with no possibility of parole for 25 years, which is the maximum sentence in Canada. And this case was actually the first time in Canada that the maximum 25-year sentence was handed down for second-degree murder. It had never been used for second-degree before. Yeah. Somewhere in there it said, David hung his head defeated when the judge read his sentence. Bro, you just committed a brutal mass murder. You don't get to hang your head and feel sorry for yourself. And you pled guilty. So what did you expect? Yeah, I don't know. Brutal. Mike Eastham, who we know was the main guy in this case, the main investigator, the lead guy, he had Mm -hmm. always planned to re-interview David to get the truth from him what happened. He didn't buy it. It didn't sit well with him. He was just like, that ain't it. I... I will go back and get the truth out of this dude. He visited him on the day of his sentencing and David agreed to talk to him. I mean, he had nothing else to lose. He was already receiving a max sentence. At this point, his story changes. He said he noticed the family camping a few days before the murders and he became obsessed with the two girls. Yeah, it's more what I thought. Yeah, he hid in the bush going over in his mind what he wanted to do with them. And like, Lord knows what else he was doing in the bush while he was watching them from afar. How many times when you were a kid did you and your friends stay in a tent alone when you were camping? Even if your parents were in a tent, and maybe you didn't, but I did. We always would go camping as kids and me and my friends would always stay in our own tent. And the adults were like off to the side. Now this is giving me the big heebie-jeebies. I'm just thinking he's admitting to hiding in the bush and watching them. You're like 13 years old. You're wearing a bathing suit. You're going swimming. Like he's just a creepy fucking rapist pedophile fuck. Yeah. At that age, you're just walking around in your bathing suit and flip-flops all the time. I hate it so much. Yep. So he basically made up in his mind what he wanted to do to these girls. And he knew he'd have to kill the four adults to get to them. After killing all four adults, he basically just told the girls to stay put. He loaded the four adults into the backseat of the car. He came back to the tent. He went in the tent. This is when the nightmare begins. I'm not going to go into it because I think we can all Mm -hmm. speculate what happened in the tent. He redressed himself. He forced the girls to clean up the campsite with him and then abducted them and kept them alive for a week and a half. At his ranch, which was in a fishing cabin on Clearwater River close by, he did whatever he wanted to do with them for a week and a half and realized this ain't going to last and that he needed to get rid of them. They guessed that it was on August 16th. He took the youngest girl, the 11-year-old Karen. He took her first, walking her into the woods, told her to turn around so that he could pee, and when she did, he shot her in the back of the head. Can you even... No. This innocent baby. He's like, just turn around so I can pee. Right? She's just like, she's like, okay. Giving this monster who's just been abusing the shit out of her for a week and a half the privacy he needs so he can pee. You're like, what the fuck? You've been putting that thing wherever else you wanted. I've seen it multiple times. Why are you so shy now? I know. So... He basically just used the same tactic on the older girl, Janet. He told her, apparently, that he had tied Karen to a tree in the middle of the forest so that him and Janet could have some privacy. Okay. Cheapest babysitter ever. He did the same thing with her. Did the same thing with her. He shot her in the back of the head, and then he put them in the trunk, drove the car up the mountain, and lit all six of them on fire in the car. That's the real story. So he just left the adults' bodies just sitting somewhere in the car until he decided to get rid of all of them? Yeah, so they were just decomposing in his car in the sun for four days. Or in their car, I guess. In the campsite, just sitting there, no one noticed? Or did he move the car? Do we know? No, no, he... I'm pretty sure he drove it back to wherever he was. Oh, like at the ranch, probably? Yeah. Okay. Gross. Yeah. But okay, carry on. It's like in the middle of summer. So these bodies are just rotting inside of this car. And it's then there. Keeps these girls for a week and a half and then kills them, puts them in the car too, and then drives this car halfway up the mountain and lights the whole thing on fire. Yeah. 
gross. Thanks for this story, Dad. I really appreciate it. I hate it so much. So I do have some closing remarks. Oh, love that. And I'm going, yeah, and I'm going to end with some information about the victim's families and just some stuff that's going on right now that is important. So hopefully you've made it this far and you can stick around till the end. Detective Mike Eastham never forgot about this case. He called it one of the worst crimes he's ever dealt with. He did continue to work with BCRCMP until his retirement in 1996. And he actually now, for his retirement, he lives on Vancouver Island. So I love that for you, Mike. Vancouver Island's amazing. I'm glad that you get to live out your days here. I wonder where. And I know where, but I'm not going to say it. I'll just tell you after. You I don't just, know. Can you just tell me and I'll beep it out? Oh. You, yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I just, sometimes I'm weird no, about I get it. privacy of these kind of things, especially retired RCMP, like retired officers. I just, I truly believe that hey. they deserve their privacy and their peace in their retirement. I get it. I don't know. I completely Yeah, get they it. just, you know, they just deserve their peace. They've dealt with enough of our bullshit. Totes. This, so we talked about kind of like how in-depth this investigation was. So at the time, yes. this was one of the most costly investigations in Canadian history. But Eastham is quoted in an interview saying, I could justify every penny under the circumstances. Of course. So David Shearing eventually changed his last name to his mother's last name. So he now goes by David Ennis. And what we're going to talk about now is just a bit about the victims and the impact this crime has had on their families. Because in Canada, like we talked about, you, the maximum sentence is you don't, you can apply for parole after 25 years, no matter Mm -hmm. what. So if you receive that sentence, you live out your 25 years, you now get the option to apply for parole every two years after that. Yep. He has been eligible for parole since September of 2008, and he was 49 at that time. He did apply for parole in that year, and at the time, the National Parole Board ruled that he still had violent sexual fantasies, he hadn't completed sex offender treatment, and that he was not ready for freedom. He was granted a four-hour escorted leave from the Bowdoin Institution in Alberta, where he's being held shortly after this, and a reason was never given, but historically, I have just written down here, temporary leaves like that are granted for medical or, like, bereavement purposes, so more than likely something related to that. He didn't apply for parole in 2010. His second application was in 2012. And at the time, there was actually a candlelight vigil that was planned to mark the tragedy of the murders. And family and friends actually had to cancel this vigil so that they could prepare for the parole hearing. Because, yeah, because they found out about it. And they don't really get given that much notice. And you have to have all these documents submitted by a certain date for them to be entered into the hearing. And so every single time he applies for parole, this family has to give impact statements. They have to prepare and submit petitions. They have to prepare. They have to relive it every two years. And it's time consuming. It's emotionally exhausting for them. That parole request in 2012 was also rejected. He then applied again in 2014, but withdrew the request a month before the hearing. He He didn't apply in 2016 or 2018, but he did apply in 2020 and he is up for full parole. This hearing is in July of 2021. I don't think he's going to get out anyway. He's not, but it's such a vic. It's like serious revictimization for these families Definitely. to have to continue to go back every two years just to defend the position that this guy should stay behind bars. And that's why I've said it before. While I'm maybe not the hugest proponent of the death penalty because I'm not i don't believe that we should have it here in canada i do believe that there should either be a maximum huh so i have an opinion opinion. yeah Yeah. and i super respect everyone's opinion that's just always kind of in mind i'm just like not super for it in canada doesn't mean that i don't agree with it in certain circumstances i just you know we've never had it why start now i do think that there should at least be a like maximum amount of times you can apply for parole or just certain offenses are just so fucking heinous that you just don't get the option like sorry no i just don't see why we don't have that no, I agree. Like some things are just so heinous. I mean, six lives. 
That's not just an accident or anything. Like, you went out of your way, plotted, planned, and held those people. You murdered six people. You suck. You don't, you're like, you don't get the option to come hang out with the rest of us. Anyways. I actually just opened the petition to have a look at it. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, the... Guys, there are 64,979 out of 75,000 signatures. That's so flippin' close. Anyone listening right now, please go sign it. Let's help them. Let's keep this guy behind bars. Yeah, I was going to say the everything has to be in to the parole board for review by May 1st. We can link this online petition in our show notes. Mm -hmm. So that if anybody wants to go and sign it, if you're interested in helping this family out, keep this fucking monster behind bars, you can go and sign that petition. We'll link it. And then I just have, like Katie just said, at the time of recording this, the petition is super close to 65,000 signatures. The family also stated that since his last application in 2014, he's done nothing to improve himself. Like he hasn't taken any classes. He's taken no courses. He's done no self-improvement. And I agree that you can stay there you you can just stay definitely i mean so, I yeah that taxpayers monies or monies i hate that taxpayer money is going to feeding and housing this man but at the same that's time right. i would much rather know that a little bit of my money is going to that and knowing they're in these safe contained places so i agree yeah i get that argument maybe we can have that discussion another day i'm too tired after this monstrosity to, to continue i was gonna get into my opinion about the death penalty and then i was like i don't want to do that right now <laughs> no honestly this case is so emotionally exhausting it's just so brutal and so i wanted to tell it and i also wanted to especially with that petition going around online right now just kind of highlight that and do our part to keep this fucking monster locked up Yep. yep. I I mean, I don't really have much more to say. I think that you said everything that was needed to say, and I agree this one was kind of exhausting. It was heavy and sad and relevant again. So, yeah, it was a lot of moving part. That was a lot in there. But hopefully you liked it, if you did like it. I did. You liked it? Yeah. I'm glad. I did, I did. Well, a piece of gross Canadian history that nobody needs. Or do they? Maybe they do. We don't talk about mass murders as much, I feel like, on podcasts. I think the big one in the true crime world is obviously serial killers, and everybody's really fascinated by them. And if you don't know what the difference between a serial killing and mass murdering is, it's basically... The main difference is the timing and how the murders happen. They both involve multiple murders. The There's varying definitions. I like to go with two or more. Mass murder happens in a single incident, and serial killing has to have a cooling-off period. So there's multiple, multiple victims with a cooling-off period happening at different times. They're like isolated incidents, whereas mass murder is more one isolated incident. But... I feel like we talk about serial killers a lot more and mass murder doesn't really maybe come up as much. Am I wrong? No. No. No, because I think there's also too, like between the serial killers, there's mass murders, there's spree killers. Like there's so many different ones now that I definitely think you hear of serial killer predominantly though. Yeah. Totally. Well, it sounds like our brains have shut off for the night. We have effectively nothing left to contribute to the universe. So if you like this, please go to Instagram at podcast by proxy. Throw us a like, a follow. Maybe a review. I don't know. However you use Instagram, just do that on our Instagram page. Follow. That's the one. Review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? Apple Podcasts and iTunes is definitely number one. Mm-hmm. Podchaser is apparently like the IMDb of podcasts. So that's <laughs> apparently a great place to leave reviews. Otherwise, Podbean, which is our platform we utilize, or mm-hmm. directly through whatever other platform you're using. But yeah, definitely anywhere where you can leave a review. If you can, that would be amazing. Hint, hint, it may be part of a giveaway coming up soon. So if you do it ahead of time, then you may already be entered. Wink, wink. And let us know what you want to hear. I love case suggestions. They're my favorite because I'm really not picky. Let us know. We're doing this for you. So let let us know what you want to hear. We'll do it. 
yeah, do you want us to go more outside of Canada, more inside Canada? Do you want serial killers, mass murderers, free killers? Really, let us know. I have a terrible one planned. I got a few. As if this wasn't terrible enough. And also let us know if you would like us to do an episode together where we share a script, because that's also something we've been talking about that could be fun. So we just want to get as much feedback as possible from everyone right now, because again, yes, what Olivia said, we are doing this for you guys. Selfishly, we started it for us, but now we're in it for you. And we want to give you what you want to hear. Yeah, like it's fun for us, but we're not sitting here listening to our own podcast regularly. I never listen to it at all i listen to it to make sure that there's nothing that needs to be fixed otherwise i'm not over here like binging my own podcast so no anyways follow us at podcast by proxy on instagram you can submit case suggestions there through our link tree other than that have a great rest of your week okay goodbye bye i'll call you soon okay (gasps) okay Bye. bye how do i stop this shit i'll stop it (laughs) Fucking... <laughs>